Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Morning, church. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting many of you already in our family's short five months that we've been here and been on staff. But if you don't know, my name's Stuart Tilley, and I'm the student minister, um, and I'm going to be with you guys this morning and teaching. Um, Darren wanted to give me an opportunity to get in front of you guys and teach, and I was thankful, so he called me late last night and said, do you want to preach in the morning? Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, uh, he called me months ago and said, hey, I'm going to be out this weekend, and I'd love um, for you to teach. And so I'm honored to be here, I'm honored to step in place of Darren today. Um, his family's out, and I want to remind you to continue to pray for them, as Darren and Paula are both so busy and love people so well, so keep them in your prayers. Um, but this morning, I've been praying for the last few months and kind of what to go through, and the Lord led me to the book of Timothy. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So if you have your scripture, if you have the word of God today, please get that out and join us as we work through that. If you don't, it'll be on the screen for you to see, and you can follow along there. But 2 Timothy... Chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So I'm going to read it, then we're going to pray over it, and then we're going to jump right in. So you guys can read with me. Verse 3 says, I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Church, we pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our text. Thank you for the opportunity to go through your word this morning. I pray for the person in the room that's far from you, that today they come to know you and they see that you love them and you want them, Father. And I pray for the believer in the room that knows you. I pray that they are challenged this morning. They're convicted, they're encouraged, wherever you have their hearts, God, I pray that you spur us on to, to be more intentional with the gospel. Father, we love you, and I pray that you be with me as I teach. Um, let only your truths come out of my mouth. We ask this in your name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, you can see I've titled the sermon this morning, Entrusted with the Gospel. Such an important thing for all of us, um, especially believers in the room, for us to know that we are entrusted with the gospel. So I want to give you a quick context so you can know 
Um, what, what is taking place here. So if you're familiar, this is Paul and he's writing his letter to Timothy. So this is the second letter of Timothy that he's writing here. Timothy is a beloved friend of Paul's. He's mentored him, discipled him, walked with him, encouraged him. I'm sure along the way corrected him, but he's a dear friend of his. And so Paul is writing to Timothy. And just like Paul and just fashionable Paul, he's writing a letter from prison, which we see so often in his letters, they're wrote from a place of prison. But this one's a little bit different than normal. Um, most of the time, Paul is hopeful, and he's expectant that he's gonna be released from prison soon. But in this particular one, he knows there's a trial date set. And so he believes that death is upon him. He believes that death is gonna be at the end of this prison stay for him. And so Paul has an opportunity to write a letter with a heavy heart, knowing his end is near. And what we see is Paul doesn't go, hey, family, hey, friends, take care of the things that I possess here on earth. And he doesn't use this to write to a bunch of different people. No, Paul is very specific. And I don't know if he wrote other letters to people, but in this one, Paul addresses two things. One, his beloved disciple and mentor, Timothy. And two, the gospel. There's urgency with it. And that's why the sermon is titled Entrusted with the Gospel, because that's where Paul is encouraging Timothy and reminding him that as a believer, he's been entrusted with the most important thing there is. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes with urgency. He writes with excitement, with love, with joy to his beloved friend, Timothy. But he also writes and says, you have been entrusted with the gospel. And we're going to see that as we walk through it today. So we're gonna, if you take notes, we're gonna walk through this and I, there's six truths we're gonna talk about. Um, but as you hear me say six truths, that's also known as six points, I don't want you to get nervous. It's not gonna be as long as a normal three-point Baptist pastor. So we'll have six points to work through, six truths that we see here in scripture that I'm excited to share with you. So the first one, if you're taking note, the first truth is right here in the beginning of it. Verse three. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Verse four, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So the first truth is Paul's gratitude and love for Timothy. And we see that in verses three and four. His love and gratitude for Timothy. You can see it as he writes. You can feel it. He's thanking God for Timothy who he prays for who he longs to see. He remembers his tears. It says that I long to see you and it'll bring joy to me when I do. So we see that Paul has this deep love for Timothy and that's how he starts his letter off. So what I wanna do before we jump deeper into the text is I wanna take a moment and just have you put yourself kind of in Paul's shoes for a moment. I want you to think about someone that you love de deeply, that you have gratitude for, that you are thankful for, that you pray for night and day. Just put yourself there. For me, when I think about that person for me, the first one on my mind is my wife, my spouse, Callie. She is someone that I pray for night and day that I long to see that brings me joy. Uh, she took the kids this weekend down to Durant to see her family for a couple days. Um, and I'll tell you as much as I am thankful she got to spend time with family, boy, did I miss her. And it brought me joy when she walked back through that door Saturday. Or maybe for you, it's your kiddos or grandkids. That's how I feel, not about grandkids, but for my kids. If you don't know, my wife and I have four. We have Caroline, who's eight, twin boys, Maxon and Kaysen, who are five, and a little girl, Molly Kate, who's gonna be three this fall. They bring me joy. I pray for them. Boy, we fight and we work through a lot of things in our family, but they bring me joy and I'm thankful for them. I love them. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about them. 
Another person that you may think, maybe if you don't have kids or grandkids, is someone who's mentored you. Like Paul has mentored Timothy. For me, when I came to know Jesus when I was 18 years old, there was a, a man, um, 54-year-old man, he just invited me to come over and just share the gospel with me. I'd just come to know Jesus. He saw a young young college student who didn't know what was the next step, just knew that I had said yes to Jesus, so he mentored me, he loved me, he discipled me, he corrected me, he poured into me. And being away from family, it was so good to have this spiritual father figure here on earth in Duran, Oklahoma, poured into me. So maybe that's you, you think of someone who's loved you well, shared the gospel with you, mentored you, discipled you. Whoever that is for you, or those people for you, I want you to think about that, because this is who... Paul is writing to someone he cares for deeply and loves. And I want you to have that urgency on your heart as you think about this. So the first one is Paul's gratitude and love for Timothy. Who is that for you? And then we see as soon as he says, Timothy, I'm grateful for you. I pray for you. I love you. You bring me joy. What is the next thing he says in verse five? He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. So if you're taking notes, the second truth is Timothy's sincere faith and spiritual heritage. So what he does is he says, man, I'm thankful for you. I love you. It brings me joy to be with you. But let's get right down to business. I am reminded of your sincere faith. He immediately points to the spiritual condition of Timothy and says, I am reminded that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have surrendered your life to Jesus. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you. He's seen it. He's seen this spiritual heritage that has been in Timothy's life for as long as he can remember and before he could remember. He's seen this, this generational faith in Timothy's life. And man, what a great reminder for us, for those that have kids and grandkids, that this is the ideal situation. This is what we want. God has entrusted us, parents, with kids in our life, grandparents with grandkids in your life. Those aren't randomly placed in your family. No, God has entrusted you with those with a purpose. You have a responsibility as a believer to pass on the gospel, to disciple your kids and your grandkids, be talking about Jesus constantly, be pointing them back to Christ in every area of their life. And you want to see them know Jesus and then pass it on to the next generation, right? You want to see that generational faith continue to go. And we see that here with Timothy. Paul has seen it in both his grandmother and his mother and now in Timothy. But it's, it's not, Timothy, you got it and you're done no, it's this charge and this challenge that, Timothy, it has continued to pass down. Don't let the buck stop at you. Continue to pass this faith on. A mentor of mine says, and I love the way he put it, he said, the gospel was coming to me because it was heading to someone else. The gospel came to me because it was heading to someone else. Church, that's how we must live. With that urgency that the good news of Jesus came to us, changed us, not just here on earth, but our eternity has changed. And that's the good news, the gospel. And since it came to us, it can't stop with us. It must go to somebody else. Kids, your grandkids, your coworkers, family, friends. It is with urgency that we continue to pass the gospel on. In fact, if we don't, we're doing the Lord a disservice and we're being selfish if we aren't passing on the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Because it came to us and changed us. Why would we not want to share that with people? I heard someone say, 
a while back, we are one generation away from this world not knowing Jesus at all, which I don't believe that's I don't believe it's going to happen. I believe that God has a plan. I know for me, till the day that I die, I'm going to continue to pass on the good news of Jesus. But I, I was thinking about that. If a generation just said, we are no longer going to listen and believe in Jesus and we're no longer going to pass it on. The generation below them doesn't know who God is. The generation below them doesn't even know there is a God, right? It would continue to just go away. Church, that's our culture. We see that happening. We see generations not as interested in the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a real responsibility as believers to not let that die, to pass it on with urgency. This week, um, our church, our staff rotates through hospital visits, and I was on hospital Wednesday, and I went to visit... um, one of our, one of our uh, members that is in the hospital. And, and as you know, I'm new, so I don't know a lot of people, and especially our members that have homebound or in the hospital I haven't got a chance to meet. So most of the time when I'm going in there, I'm meeting someone for the first time. And so I'm looking at the list. We had a lady come in there Tuesday night late, so I was the first one to go see her. Um, and when I went in there, I'm looking at the list, and I see her name is Marthanda Beckworth. Some of you will know her. Many of you will know her. I didn't know how to pronounce her name, so I walked in, and I said, hey, are you Marthanda and? And she was like, that's not correct. (laughs) That's close. And she corrected me with love, and she said, you look familiar. And I said, yes, I'm on staff. I'm the student pastor. And we began to talk, but I'll tell you, when I went there, as I drove to the hospitals, I'm finding the room. I'm praying for conversation. I'm just praying that I can encourage her, that I can just pray with her. The intention is for me to try to bless her, but also just to be with her in a time of need and whatever that is, so I can pray with her and update our staff. But I'll tell you, it wasn't long into our conversation. I realized that I was not there for her. She was very much there for me. Because in our conversation, she said, can I just tell you something? After she told me her name is Marthanda, and there's not that many syllables in it, she said, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. She said, man, I'm just, I'm thankful you're here, but let me just tell you a little bit about me. She said, when I was a young girl, uh, my family moved to Westville, Texas. Do you know where that is? And I said, yeah, on the west side of, or Westville, Oklahoma. I said, yeah, on the west side of Oklahoma. And she said, no, it's actually on the east of Oklahoma towards Arkansas. I didn't know that. But she said, yeah, Jeff Elkins spent a few years there. And so she said, it's a great place. She said, my family moved there. They didn't know Jesus. They went to found, find a church. They got plugged in. Some, some men reached out to them, invited them, encouraged them, loved them, shared the gospel with them. I don't know whether it was deacons or men's ministry, but men pulled their family in and shared the gospel with them. And she said, and I'm so grateful for that because my parents came to know Jesus in Westville, Oklahoma. And I said, praise the Lord, that's awesome. And she's like, it doesn't stop there though, because later they moved me and they taught me the importance of the gospel. They shared Jesus with me. They got me plugged into church. They prioritized Christ in their lives and in my life. So when I later was in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, I gave my life to the Lord. And I said, man, that's great news. And she said, and then later I got to do the same with my daughter. I poured into her, I loved her, discipled her, shared the good news of Jesus. And now she has a relationship with Jesus. I knew in that moment that this is exactly where, the, where God wanted me to go. That I'm reading it and I'm seeing it in Timothy's life with his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and now with Timothy. And then I hear a real life example and I say, and I told myself when I was leaving, that's what I want. I want to be a person. I want me and my wife to be people that start this generational faith, that we share the gospel with our children. We disciple them. We love them. We center our lives around Christ that the, to the point where there's no denying that there is a God that they need to surrender to. And then they do the same with their kids. And we celebrate that with our grandkids and our great grandkids, this generational faith. 
It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by being intentional. And I'll tell you, my wife and I got to celebrate this last year. Our daughter Caroline, who's up there in service, gave a little wave out there. Yeah, she gave her life to the Lord last summer. And then September 18th, last fall, I got to baptize her. What a special moment for anybody to be saved and baptized. But as a dad, to baptize your daughter was so special. But I got to see that God is already working on this generational faith. And I pray that it doesn't stop with just her, but her siblings and her grandkids eventually. But that's what Paul is doing right here. He's saying, Timothy, the gospel was entrusted to your grandmother and she passed it on to your mother and your mother passed it on to you. It can't stop with you. You have to be intentional and share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody you encounter. Start with your home, then reach your workplace, then reach the people you encounter everywhere. I see your sincere faith. Don't let it stop. The gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. So after he reminds him of his sincere faith, what do we see in verse six and seven that Paul says to Timothy? He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a power of love and self-control. So he says, Timothy, I love you. I'm thankful for you. I'm grateful for you. I pray for you. And then he says, and I see your sincere faith that you have inside of you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, no, because you are a believer and you've said yes to Jesus, you have a responsibility to be growing in a relationship with God. That's when he uses the analogy, fan into flame. Fan into flame your relationship with Jesus. Now, I don't know, I would bet many of you guys have sat around a campfire. You've been camping. We're hoping that season is closer and closer every day because it's been hot. But you sit around a campfire, you sit around wood and you light it. And it goes and you roast some hot dogs, some s'mores, whatever you're doing. But eventually those logs begin to burn out and they turn into the, the red embers and eventually the coals, right? But if you want to rekindle that fire, what do you do? If you're like me, you love the thrill. So you get as close as you can and you blow and it just starts to build it back up. Or if you're normal, you stand and you fan it. And so you're fanning this fire and you're fanning it and fanning it and fanning it. And eventually these embers get so hot, they rekindle and they become a flame again. And that's a point you can take seasoned wood and set it on top and the fire eventually will catch the rest of the wood on fire. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. I know you're a believer and I know you have Jesus, but I also know you have a timid personality and maybe not always the one to go share the gospel willingly and openly, but you have a real sincere, genuine faith and you have the best thing out there to offer other people, it's the good news of Christ. Don't let that fire die, fan the flame. Get that flame burning bright in your life so then it can catch other logs on fire and you can see more people come to know Jesus so they can fan their flame and they can share Jesus with other people. This is what Paul's reminding Timothy. But you say, man, what does it look like to fan our flame? Well, I can tell you this is where you start. Spend time in the word of God. Read through his scripture. You say, I don't know where to start. Any of the four gospels will be great. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the beginning of the Bible. You just open up his word and begin to read. You find somebody in your life that you trust as a believer and say, walk with me. How else do you fan the flame of your personal relationship with Jesus, your devotion? You prioritize things of God. You prioritize this right here, the gathering and the, and the togetherness of believers and community and fellowship and groups in between, like Dave said, are a priority to you and to the church. 
prioritize things of God and watch him fan into flame your relationship and watch it grow and ignite brighter than you've ever seen before. But it starts with you being intentional. So he says, Timothy, I love you. I'm thankful for you. You have sincere faith. Don't let it die. Rekindle the fire. And then what do we see as the fourth truth in here? In verse eight, he tells him, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering with the gospel, for the gospel, by the power of God. So point truth four is do not be ashamed of the gospel. Church, let that be our heart. Let that be what we wear proudly, that we are not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. So Paul is telling Timothy, you have a sincere faith. Don't let that fire die. But also, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the truth that changed your life, not only here, but your eternity forever. Preach that with boldness. Share that with everyone. Wear that on your sleeve. Let that be the reflection you are here on earth is Jesus Christ to other people. But he also says, also, don't be ashamed of me, a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. Paul is also saying, don't fear, feel pity on me. I'm a prisoner because of the gospel. So I want to take a moment, and the reason I believe Paul says to Timothy is to remind you that knowing Jesus and suffering go hand in hand. Super encouraging, isn't it? Woo! But really, that's how you see the fruit in your life. If anyone ever tells you that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will suffer no more, you will have no more worries, no more trials, life will be perfect and great for you, they're not telling you the truth. They're not sharing with you the real gospel. The gospel is clear. Jesus is clear. When you know him, you will face sufferings. Some are very, very extreme and some are minor. But it's a way that we can see our faith inactive is when we suffer for the Lord. And I know that's not the encouragement that we always want to feel, but that's what God calls us to. And why do you think we suffer? It's because when we live with a fan that flames our life up and we live on fire for Jesus and we begin this generational faith inside of our households and we share the gospel with our coworkers, guess what? Satan doesn't like when believers live out the truth of the word and tell other people about it. So you're under attack. You're under a real spiritual attack. So you're going to find suffering in this life. But praise God, right? That's what Paul's saying. Don't, don't look at me and say, pity on you for being a prisoner. Paul says, no, 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 glory to God because I'm a prisoner for the gospel. So Paul reminds Timothy with that. And then what I love right here is Paul's not done. <laughs> and so point truth five, he says to him in verse nine. He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave in us, Christ Jesus, before the ages begin. So truth number five is saved and called. So he tells them all these things, right? He tells them how thankful he is, how much he loves him, his sincere faith, his genuine faith, fan the flame. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. What he says is now, Timothy, remember you have a sincere faith, which means you are saved. You have been made new in Jesus. But what our culture is falling victim to right now is we believe that that is the end goal, to know Jesus and be done. Yes, knowing Jesus is our goal in life, but it can't be the end. We are saved and we are called to live a holy lifestyle. If you're a believer in the room and you've said yes to Jesus and surrendered your life at any point, you are saved, but you now have a calling on your life to live holy, pursue righteousness, live a lifestyle that reflects God in all areas of your life, not just those that people see, but your heart, your mind. 
behind closed doors, the way you talk to friends, the way you treat people, the way you deal with suffering. We are called to be holy and righteous. Now you say, holiness and righteousness, me? How could I be called to that? How could I live a lifestyle? You don't know the sin in my life. You're right, but God does. But he doesn't call us into perfection. No, he's never called us to be perfect. He knows that he would set us up from failure if he says, be perfect. He says, pursue righteousness and holiness. In other words, what he's telling us is, honor God in all that you do. Or what I tell our students, righteousness and holiness can be translated to do good always. The only thing that's good is of God, right? So be good. Honor Jesus in all that you do. Live a lifestyle that reflects him in every aspect. The way you parent, the choices you make, the things you read, the things you watch, what you put into your body, what comes out of your mouth. It must honor God. So if you're a believer, that's a call you have on your life. And I said a second ago, and you may question, well, why do you say that our culture stops at the first one? Well, that's easy. Look around. You can see it in our broken world. We have a lot of people that claim to know Jesus, but they don't have a lifestyle that reflects they know Jesus. And because of that, we live in a broken world that's getting further away from the truth. We live in a world that doesn't just have pain on the outside, but real spiritual pain on the inside because there's separation from Jesus. Because we have a lot of people that say, I go to church, I pray, I know Jesus. But they don't live a lifestyle that reflects it. This was my story. I claimed to know Jesus for years, but my life didn't reflect it. Church, we're called to be saved, but also to be holy. Live a lifestyle that reflects it. And then the last thing we see is he doesn't finish there, but he wraps it up with saying this in verse 10, our sixth truth, verse 10 and 11. And which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the life, light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Truth six that he tells Timothy after saying you're saved and called, what he finishes up and saying, death is no more. It's a reminder that he says, Timothy, I'm thankful for you. I love you. You have a sincere faith. You have this spiritual heritage, this genealogy that's gone through all of your family. This generational, I meant, faith. Fan the flame. Don't be ashamed. You're saved. You're called. And he says, and if you ever wonder how you're going to live a lifestyle to reflect that, remember, death is no more. Jesus has died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and claimed victory over death so that you and I, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can live with this power to pursue righteousness, to be entrusted with the gospel, to tell others about him. Death is no more, Timothy. You have the power of Christ. Church, it's the same for you and I. There's not a separation from Timothy and from you other than if you don't know Jesus, then you can't experience this power. And you haven't been saved and you're not called. But I love what Paul does. He doesn't just tell him right here. He doesn't just say, say our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and be done. He says, no, and brought life. Not only did he defeat death, he brought life. And that's what we see in Corinthians, right? It says our old life is dead and we are raised again in a new life. So if you've been saved, you've been raised again in a new life and you have a responsibility. You are entrusted with the gospel. You need to tell people about the gospel, live a lifestyle that reflects Jesus Christ and the good news that he is to the world. That's our responsibility to be the light of the world. I heard a pastor years ago when I first came to know Jesus say it and it stuck with me. And he, he was talking about being raised in a new life. And he said, how awesome is it that Jesus is, Jesus dying for our sin and defeating death, 
leads to you and I having a new life in Christ when we put our faith and trust in him, right? He said, so why don't we live that same lifestyle and put to death the sin in our lives and let our lives reflect Jesus so it can bring new life to other people? So that when those people experience new life, how should they live? They should live in a way they put sin to death and live that, in a way that honors Jesus and should bring new life to other people. It's the cycle that cycles. That's what discipleship looks like. Sharing the gospel always and everywhere. So um, here's how I want to wrap up and close. We're not going to open up the following room right this moment. When we're done, we're going to have the following room done with worship available. It's moved a little bit. So if you've been here before, you've seen it. The following room was right out here in the corridor, but it's at the end of it past the baptistry and the ivory room. This one's under construction right now. So we'll be in the corner. We'll have a follow-up team. We'll have pastor in there for you to talk and, and walk through these. But here's what I want to tell you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, praise God. But remember, you have a real responsibility. You are entrusted with the good news of Jesus. How awesome. But who are you sharing that with? Who are you encouraging with that? Who are you passing that on to? So you can begin to pass it on and see it passed on. And if you don't know Christ in the room, I want to encourage you. And I want to challenge you that maybe someone above you, maybe it's not a generational faith and no one has passed it on to you. That doesn't mean that you can't start that and you can't say yes to Jesus and begin discipling your household and watching it been passed on and on and on until you die. You can start that today by just saying yes to Christ. I want to pray for us and I want you to respond in worship, just lifting your heart up to the Lord for wherever your situation is, wherever you're at. And then we'll close service and the follow-up room will be available. But church, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. And we're so thankful for the encouragement from Paul to Timothy, Father. But we are thankful that it's not just words on a paper, but it's real life. God, we are thankful that we have this same responsibility and we have the same gospel we are entrusted with. So Father, I pray for the person in the room that knows you. I pray that they see that they are called to holy living They've been entrusted with the greatest news in the world. I pray that they are faithful to take that everywhere. Father, I pray for the person in the room that's far from you, hurting, broken, separated, that they know the good news of Jesus is available and the love is available, and they surrender to you so they can experience that. We love you, God. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing. And I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.